and support and prayers and messages and everything. Um, we really appreciate it. Well, I have the honour of um, being able to share today, right at the beginning of our of our six weeks of prayer. Um, and I'm excited about the 24 hours of prayer. I noticed someone was already putting their name up. Mary's booked in some times up there, I think. I don't know if anyone else has yet, but um, I, I think that it is going to be a really significant period of time in our church, and not just in our church, in our community and, and in our individual lives as well. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Luke 11. <clears throat> So I'm just going to read Luke 11, 5 to 8. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked. My children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though... He will not get up and give, any, give him anything because he is his friend. At least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. I'm just going to pray. Father, we just uh, thank you for our uh, church family. Thank you for your presence here today, Lord. I just pray that you um, speak through me, through my words. I pray that they um, speak into people's lives and uh, you give us great encouragement in your name. Amen. As we just said, we're, we're about to embark on this prayer journey. I love this prayer wall up here. Um, it's something we've talked about for a little while, but um, I, I love that we have a communal prayer facility or whatever we call it. Uh, and I'm going to talk actually more about that um, later on in the message. But I, I think that prayer is one of those things that we probably all do. Um, you know, the Bible says to pray without ceasing, and, uh, you know, some people are really great at doing that, and we pray for all kinds of, of different things. But I, I really felt today to speak about persistence in prayer specifically, to, you know, it, it, it's, it's easy to pray um, for things, and when God answers our prayers, then, then that's amazing, but sometimes when we've been praying for the same thing for a long period of time, or it feels like a long period of time, and there's no breakthrough or no answer, that sometimes we put that to the side and we, uh, I guess, maybe don't give up on it, but maybe we feel like it's not God's will or, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. And I want to say as an overarching message uh, for anything, actually, as we go forward, God's will is God's will. So, you know, if you're praying for something that might be against God's will, the chances are, doesn't matter how badly you persist, it's probably not going to happen. But, um, as we'll talk about later, uh, God is an amazing God who does listen to our prayers and who does answer our prayers. But, before I talk about this scripture, I really uh, need us to understand uh, a bit of theology. So, I'm going to give you a little bit of a theology lesson today. It's a big topic, but hopefully I'm going to break it down into a really small amount, and that is about God's providence. Now, I had to Google this, to be honest, but providence actually means God, especially when conceived as omnisciently, 
directing the universe and the affairs of humankind with wise benevolence. In other words, providence means or talks of God's controlling of things, right? It's, it's the, the influence or the control that God has. That's, that's providence. And when we talk about providence, there's two main beliefs in mainstream Christianity, at least. There's lots of other ones. But there are two main, uh, main beliefs in relation to God's providence. And the first one... The first one is what they call meticulous providence. And that is, whatever happens in nature and history are completely willed by God and not simply permitted by God. The theologian Calvin believed in meticulous providence. And the, I guess the basics of meticulous providence means that God is in control and predestines everything. Right? When we talk about predestination, that all the days of your life are written in the Bible, that nothing happens by chance, God is not a risk taker, meticulous providence is the belief that God actually predestines every single thing that has ever happened in life, in history and into the future. You, you got me? There are no chances when it comes to this belief. Now the issue with meticulous providence, as I'm sure some of you have already thought about, is that if that is the case, then that means that God has predestined sin and evil in the world. Things like world wars, holocaust, genocide, all of those terrible things in life. If you believe in meticulous providence, you would believe that God has, for whatever reason, has planned those things to happen throughout history. Everything that happens in our own personal lives, every tragedy, every blessing... Everything that happens, happens because God has planned it. The flip side of that is that in great tragedy, as we've experienced as a family just recently, is that sometimes thinking that way can help to feel like there is an actual meaning. That these things have happened because God has a plan for it and in the, you know, in the grand scheme of things, his will and his love will come out of whatever the tragedy has been. And I know as an example for me at my work, you know, I've, um, I've got a team that I work with, I know that sometimes I make decisions that other people don't quite understand. Now, I know why I'm making that decision because I know what that's going to lead to in the future. I know what those decisions that I make now are going to have an impact over the, the greater team. But sometimes people within that team, when they're looking at their own jobs and that has an impact on them, they don't understand it and they don't agree with it because it has an impact on them. But they're only looking at it from their own perspective. That, in a sense, is an example of meticulous providence. Predestination. That's the bottom line around that. The second one is limited providence. And limited providence is the common belief amongst at least Protestant Christians. Limited providence is the belief that God could control all things, but he chooses not to. God restrains himself for the sake of a certain limited degree of autonomy of both nature and history. That's free will. That's the... Uh, the argument around free will. There was a, 
Uh, another theologian who actually studied under Calvin, his name was Armenian. That's where you get the difference between Calvinism and Armen Armenianism. There's a quote that Ben mentioned last week that mentioned the two. That's the difference between the two beliefs around God's will. One of them is predestination. The other one is free will. Are you with me so far? There, was a, there is a Christian uh, writer, Tozer, A.W. Tozer, who gave this explanation of limited providence. And I, uh, I, I did already mention that limited providence is what the majority of, of Christians would believe in. And he gave this example of, or this illustration of what limited providence is like. And if you can imagine a cruise ship, a cruise liner, you know, anyone ever been on a cruise here? I'm sure lots of you have. <clears throat> big cruise ship. Now, those big cruise ships have one captain. And that captain's job is to get that cruise ship from point A to point B safely. Now, if you've been on a cruise ship, you would know that things happen on that ship that are actually not in the will of the captain. There's alcohol on the ship, but I'm sure the captain doesn't will people to drink themselves stupid and vomit over the side. There are other things that happen on the ship that are not within the captain's will, but he allows them to happen while he is sailing the ship from point A to point B. Make sense? Very simple illustration. That is what limited providence is. Now, the reason that's important is because I want you to understand from a theological point of view, when we're praying, sometimes we get into this thought that when we're praying, things we, we can't change God's mind. And like I said earlier, when it comes to God's will, that is true. There, there are things that you can't pray for or that God can't uh, you know, give you um, for whatever reason. But there are times where it may seem impossible and it may seem like things are, you know, God's never going to answer your prayer but they can happen, and they can happen through prayer. And if we go back to that scripture in Luke 11, 5 to 8, it says at the end, I tell you, even though he will not give up, get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. And the, the, the interesting uh, word here, obviously the, the focus for us is that word persistence. And I had a look at this word, anaidia. It's the Greek, say it with me, anaidia. That word, this is the only time that word is mentioned in the entire Bible. It's not mentioned in any other scripture. The definition of it is shamelessness or shameless persistence, or unembarrassed boldness. You know, we, we live in a society of self-sufficiency. We live in communities, but when you think about it, quite often in those communities, we're quite selfish in the way we interact. We, we want to be there for each other, and most of the time, from a cultural perspective, I'm not saying that we necessarily do this, but from a cultural perspective, we're happy to give to others as long as we've got what we need first. Right? We look after our own. We're taught to be self-sufficient. I know that when I was younger, 
you know, my mum would say, you can't rely on anyone else. You know, you've got to, got to make things happen for yourself. And I'm not saying that's necessarily um, true. But this word talks about being shameless, having no guilt in your persistence of knocking on the door. And I'm sure we've all got friends or family who are continually asking for things, always asking for support or, you know, asking for help with, you know, with, I know of people that, you know, ask for help to come and clean their house and, you know, look after their kids and all that kind of stuff. And at times, I think they shouldn't be asking for that. I would, personally, I'd be, you know, embarrassed if I had to ask for someone to come and clean my house. But after reading this scripture and after thinking about what this what Jesus himself is actually telling us, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't be ashamed of, of prayer. Maybe we shouldn't be ashamed of asking for help from each other. Maybe the point of what this is saying is that regardless of what the need is, that we should shamelessly continue to knock on the door and knock on the door and knock on the door until someone answers. Because this, this scripture says that he will get up and give him whatever he needs. Not because he wants to. He's already in bed with the door locked, warm and cosy with his, you know, kids in bed, everyone, every, you know, family's in bed. But through persistence, shameless persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he wants. And, you know, I... I believe that that is a uncomfortable thought for us in our culture. We don't persi- we we do not shamelessly persist or don't often shamelessly persist. You know, if you want to catch up with someone, you ask them once. You know, if they say no, you generally you know you might ask again. We don't persist in those because of you know a range of different things. We don't want to impose on people, or we don't want to you know we don't want to be rejected ourselves. But when it comes to God and when it comes to this scripture, Jesus is very clearly saying to us that we should shamelessly, unreservedly, without, without embarrassment, knock and 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 knock until that door is opened. That's persistence in prayer. You know, I'll give you a, a funny example. Well, actually, I shouldn't say it's funny. I think it is. You might not. When I was, when I was in um, my teenage years, when I was a teenager, obviously, um, going to high school, you know, things like fashion become more important. The shoes that you're wearing are very important when you go to school, if they were at my school at least anyway. Back in the day, it was the new Air Maxes, which... People are still wearing now, but they were expensive, you know, $180, $200 for a pair of shoes. Um, I've said this before, my mum was a single mum. She worked really hard, and she worked really hard to provide for us what we wanted. Now, from the age of probably 12 to about 15, I would go shopping with my mum because she had the money, I had the ideas. It was a beautiful marriage. I needed her. And so we would go shopping. And I learnt very quickly that my resilience is a little bit stronger than my mum's resilience. And so 
when I saw these pair of shoes that I wanted that were $180, probably maybe three times what she was expecting to spend, she would say, no, we're not getting them. And then I'd play along a little bit and not act upset. We'd go look at other shoes. She would suggest others. I'd say no to everything, of course. We'd always end up back at the shoes that I wanted in the first place. Now, oh, this is terrible. I, I'm not proud of this, but I'm just, this is real life. When I was, you know, 12 to 15, I knew that if I persisted long enough with my mum, one of two things were going to happen. She was either going to give in and I'd get what I wanted, which happened most of the time, or she would put her foot down, get really angry at me, and we would leave the shops with nothing. Now, that did happen a couple of times. But, as I'm sure most mums know, you want to give your kids the best, and sometimes guilt wins out. And so, ultimately, what would happen is I'd end up getting the shoes, because either I'd wore her down or because she wanted to give them to me because she loved me. Now, to me, that's a win. I was happy with that outcome because I got what I wanted. From the outside, I know a lot of you are, are thinking how terrible and selfish and self-centred and, and just a horrible child I was. Spoiled, yes. Spoiled. Yeah, good way to put it. I'm the bad guy. It's okay. My poor mum, yes. She knew it just as well as I did. I say, yeah, that's right. I do have daughters. <laughs> now, can I tell you, it only lasted from 12 to 15 because 12 was probably when I started caring about it. 15 was when she'd had enough of me going shopping. And so she, very clever, she would just give me money and say, go and get whatever you want. Now, she'd give me how much I wanted. I could get whatever I wanted for that amount. It was a win-win. But anyway, going back to that example, and you're all you know, looking at me differently and judging me, that's fine. <laughs> Can I just tell you one thing? One word, Anna Idiah. Shameless knocking. Shameless. I remember other people around us at the time saying, you should be ashamed of yourself. And I should have been. But I would not have gotten those shoes if I had not had shamelessly persisted and persisted and persisted until I got what I wanted. Now, I believe that's taught me some great life skills. I don't give up on many things now. I will persist in different ways. But the message in this scripture is exactly that illustration. Shameless. Do you want something? And do you want something bad enough? Do you want a new job? Do you want to see your family saved? Do you want a new car? Do you want a new pair of shoes? Do you want a new house? Do you want your kids healed? Do you want your you know, husband or wife to start coming to church? It doesn't matter. Now, we can argue whether or not a new pair of shoes is really that important for God to care about. I believe that if it means that much to you, 
and you persist long enough, you might get those shoes. You might get that new car. Or, or God might actually do something in your life to release you from the need to have a new pair of shoes. One way or another, that ship is getting from point A to point B. Now, salvation, I mean, we can quite often think that salvation is the end of the journey. It is not. Salvation is a step in that journey. The end of that journey is eternity in heaven. That's where the ship is going. And so God's steering our ship from our birth to eternity. And many things happen on that journey. But I'll tell you one thing. That the captain of a ship may not care of the quality of the prawns in the buffet. If one of you complained to someone in the kitchen staff, they probably wouldn't do much about it. But if you went to the captain's quarters and you knocked on the door every day persistently, one, you might get thrown in jail on the ship, but the captain is at some point probably going to say, just give them what they want, I've got a job to do. Knock, 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 knock. Shameless persistence. Shameless persistence. These are the words of Jesus himself. This is not a interpretation, uh, you know, this is not Damien's interpretation of, of this just to make this message sound better. This is exactly what Jesus asked us to do. Anna Idiah, shameless, shameless, knocking, knock, 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 until the door is answered. And, you know, it goes on to say in Luke 9 to 10, again, this is Jesus. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I think about prayer, and I think about some of the things that I have prayed for in the past, some prayers have been answered, some have not. Some God has changed me, so that what I was praying for is no longer important. Others are still on my heart that I pray for all the time. And I refuse to believe that those prayers won't be answered because for those, we're talking about salvation of family, you know, relationship with God, for them to be free. Those things I know are God's will. And so I will not put those aside. I will continue to knock on the door and knock on the door and knock on the door. And I can tell you in the past, and I'm not taking any credit for this whatsoever, but I can tell you in the past that I have had a list of names of my family that I've written in the back of a journal that every single day for a period of time I prayed over that family, that specific family, not my whole family, just those specific ones at that time. And I prayed and prayed and prayed. 
And can I tell you that that family who didn't go to church, who didn't believe in God, who didn't have a relationship with God, who weren't open to it, are now serving their guts out in a church every single Sunday, living their lives for Jesus. Amen. Now, I'm not taking credit for that whatsoever. Would God have saved them without my prayers? Probably. But when you knock on a door and knock and knock and knock and knock, sometimes issues get brought to the front that maybe they wouldn't have. And that's our job. We have a relationship with God. We're the ones who believe in prayer. We're the ones who know that we serve a good God who can change his will. The reason I wanted you to understand what limited providence means is because if you believe it, and I'm not saying you can believe either one because there are scriptures that support both. I personally believe in limited providence. I believe that God can change the world and do whatever he likes. He just gives us a certain amount of autonomy, our own free will to be able to make our own decisions in this world while we're here. And sure, there's some comfort in thinking that everything is predestined, some hard bits in that too. But I want to believe, and I do believe, that God is a God of miracles. God is a God who can change and intervene. And yes, his focus may be on getting us to the end of that journey. But sometimes we're the ones who have to knock on that door and let him know that there's some issues on the ship that he needs to be looking at. And that's where we come into it. Six weeks, dedicated, focused prayer. Prayer wall here, 24 hours of prayer. We've got early morning prayer sessions once a week here, 6.30 to 7.30, every Wednesday morning for the next six weeks. Now, I'm, I don't want to stand up here and sell you false promises to say that God's going to answer all of your prayers in this six weeks. But what I am confident of is that prayers will be answered in this six weeks and into the future. I am confident that God is going to answer prayers. I'm confident that we are going to see miracles in our families and in our community and in our situations and our circumstances. I'm confident. Because when we shamelessly, boldly knock and knock and knock and knock and knock and knock on that door, the only thing God can do is answer it. And I just wanted to finish with a few points. While we're here in the next six weeks, four things I think that are really important for us to focus on while we're praying. You can pray all the time, that's great. But when we're talking about this specific focused prayer, I think these four things are things that we really need to focus on. The first thing is, I think we should be prepared. I know for me personally and Larissa, I've got a list of things that I'm specifically going to be praying for that I want to see God come through for in the next six weeks or beyond that. Specific things. Family, job, community, church. Be specific. It doesn't have to be a list of a hundred different things. It could be one thing that you really, really want God to come through for you. Be prepared 
so that you know exactly what you're praying for this whole time. That's the first thing. The second thing is be deliberate. We've, we've got, you know, all of these things that are happening, Wednesday mornings, prayer wall, you know, the, the 24 hours of prayer. You don't, you don't have to do any of those. But what I would suggest is that we just be deliberate at some point over the next six weeks continuously and persistently to pray for your list, those specific things that you want. Seek God specifically, consistently and persistently. Be deliberate. The third thing is find a prayer partner. I, I really believe in this. You know, God, God listens to our prayers. God can be everywhere at all times. He can hear us individually. But what I thought about was, you know, when, when people want big change, I don't know if any of you listen or watch the news, have you seen the um, situations in Hong Kong at the moment, the umbrella protesters... One person often cannot make the change that's needed. One person can't. But when you get two or three, Scripture says where two or three are gathered, there am I. When you get two or three people together praying for the exact same thing, it amplifies it. When we get a whole church praying for the same thing, it will amplify even more. If you think about the captain of a ship and one person being unhappy with the buffet, if that whole ship starts to protest and, and demand or pray or ask that something changes, it would be pretty hard not to do that. And I think when we pray as a group, even if it's just two people or all of us together, it is like shining a magnifying glass on this area. And there will be ripples throughout the spiritual world, Abby even mentioned this in our prayer meeting earlier, that the enemy is not going to be happy with, a, with a, a congregation, a community of people coming together in prayer and seeking God. Because there is power in that. And the last one is simple. Don't give up. Just don't give up. Even if God doesn't answer your prayers in the next six weeks. Don't give up. Persist. Anna, Anna, Adiah. Shameless knocking to the point of being annoying. That's what that scripture is talking about. So I'm just going to close in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that you mean what you say. And I just thank you, Lord, that you are a God that can hear our individual prayers, whether they're spoken out loud or not, and that you can hear the prayers of all of us together. And I pray over the next six weeks and beyond for your miraculous intervention. We know that you can change circumstances. And we just pray, Lord, that wherever things seem like they are impossible to change, that you just make the impossible possible. And I pray for your blessing over this time. I pray that you be with us, you protect us. And we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be able to serve you and that you care about what we're doing.
In Jesus' name, amen.